Hello from me, Valerie Singleton, and a very warm welcome to a new selection of stories in the Voices from the Road podcast. It's a long-term project, and we're busy creating and building an audio archive to embrace a wide range of motoring memories, starting in 1932. So, let's crack on straight away with this latest episode, number seven in our running order. And for this, we're going back to the 1980s. On the 31st of January 1983, the UK Parliament passed legislation to make seatbelt wearing compulsory where fitted in the front of cars. It was the result of years of campaigning by medical and safety organisations, but the law was opposed by the Conservative government and the Labour official opposition. To understand more, we need to backtrack to the 28th of July 1981, the night before the wedding of the then Prince of Wales to Lady Diana Spencer. Late in that evening, while the London sky was ablaze with fireworks, the House of Commons was still sitting. Finally, after 13 failed attempts by backbenchers in both houses, a House of Lords amendment by Lord Nugent of Guildford succeeded in getting the bill through the Commons. The campaign led to the formation in 1982 of the Parliamentary Advisory Council for Transport Safety, or PACTS for short, under the chairmanship of Barry Shearman MP. Let's now hear from Barry, who has reunited the broadcaster Nick Ross, the safety advocate Jean Gaffin, and the barrister Glyn Maddox to remember what they achieved and to reflect on how many lives were saved as a result. I'm Barry Shearman, Member of Parliament for Huddersfield, and as a very young MP, I campaigned for seatbelt legislation. I'm Glyn Maddox. Uh, back in 1979, I started working with Barry as his researcher, his first one, and I was very excited to be involved in campaigning for transport safety and seatbelts, and we were incredibly successful in getting um, the legislation changed. I'm Nick Ross. I'm a journalist, a broadcaster, and the first programme ever produced and directed myself was about road safety, and that's where I first met Barry Sherman. The greatest, was it, was it the biggest or greatest? Biggest ever. Biggest ever. I've, I've got a copy in there if anyone wants to look at it. I, I'm Jean Gaffin. I was at university with Barry Sherman, and in 79, I became, the, I started the, with um, a doctor called Hugh Jackson, Child Accident Prevention Committee, and we were lucky enough to have published a report on the evidence of why um, it was so important to introduce seatbelts for children that um, fed into Barry's looking for a um, a private member's bill. Mm. And from then on, we, we worked together on PACs and mm. other road safety issues. Um, thanks, everyone, for pitching up. It's lovely to see people that we haven't seen for ages. Um, haven't seen Jean for a while, Nick for even longer. Unfortunately, I see Glenn all the time because we campaign these days on miscarriages of justice. Um, but uh, all those years ago, when I got elected in 1979, and I've just celebrated 44 years in Parliament, um, we um, uh, most of us have some reason for being interested in, in a, an issue. But road safety is a particular one. And I'd been in a major car crash, bringing our little Madeline back from uh, her baptism in somebody on terms. I was driving back to our, my job at, at Swansea University. And uh, uh, somewhere on the A4 um, near Bridge End, um, someone ploughed into our car head on on the wrong side of the road. And uh, if it hadn't been for the fact we were wearing seatbelts, uh, we would all have been dead. There's no doubt about that. 
They also had, my brother had got me cheaply one of his cars, which was a, a, a Vauxhall Cresta, which was three and a half litre and had a bloody big engine wow. in front. So there was a little bit of luck in that too. But it never leaves you that, you know, that accident could have wiped out my family. Actually, Pam hit her head on the internal light and was unconscious, and I thought I'd lost her. And she went to Bridge End Hospital and she was okay. Mm. Um, so, most of us who are interested have had uh, an experience or knowledge or seen someone dying by the side of the road. And it was such a huge waste of human life. So when I got in here, I got uh, passionate about road safety. And as today, it doesn't make you a glamorous parliamentarian to be campaigning for road safety. People sometimes, you know, over the years, the shutters come down as you talk about road safety. So you always are pushing something uphill. So we started, and the one thing I will say before I finish, we started a little group that would try and change the law. Uh, there have been 13 attempts to get compulsory seatbelts. They'd all failed. And from 79, we gradually put a team together, casualty surgeons, academics, road people. There was an interesting bunch, but they were, had expertise and knowledge and really very good. We got some really, really the very, top, top people in the country. Some think, very yeah. good people. And so we said, only don't, don't, we don't, this is not, this is not knee-jerk, it's going to be based on good evidence. And we had a tiny little group and we decided we would have a real go with, the, with, with getting it. There was a total bit of luck. You've always got to be lucky in these things. And I got number 10 in the private members bill and I didn't know what to do. I went to LSE with this woman here, um, who used to, almost used to mother me at LSE. <laughs> I, I was a mature student, oh, right. so I was Barry needed mothering, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, and we and, and, and I knew Jean was uh, running the Child Accident Prevention Trust, and I said, look, I'm thinking of doing this obscure bit of stuff on textile naming or something. Have we got any ideas? And you, you came up with the idea of banning children from travelling in cars unrestrained. So that's it. That's there it. we are. And that's, that's what started it. I, I spend my life as a social enterpriser learning from these days. And I say all the time, you need people. I, I need to bring people together for a, to a little conspiracy. And I look for people with experience, knowledge, and most of all, passion to make change. And this is the bunch that I, I helped. I had the passion, but I don't think I had the knowledge or the experience at the time that I was involved. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, newly, you know, straight out of university. You said, come along and work with me. I'm, I'm Glenn Maddox and uh, be my researcher for six weeks, I think is what you, you give me a trial. And I stayed about two and a half years. And one of the most exciting and, and I think important things that we did was, was this children in the front seats of cars etc i mean mm. it was all very new uh, i i didn't know much about transport ch safety then but i think in a way we were it was a new subject in parliament there mm. wasn't much going on at the, that time mm. there wasn't much debate about it you know it was still this sort of background was that you know it was all about freedom of the in, uh, freedom of the individual to to choose if they wanted to die or not if they wanted to wear a seatbelt or not uh, that was still the prevailing view, wasn't it? Um, but actually, when we brought in children, it cut straight through that because they couldn't argue that case anymore. 
despite that, I mean, we you still had M Matthew Paris in the in the in the standing committee who made a speech saying that uh, you know it's it's up to the parents to decide for the child whether or not they restrain their child in the front seat of his car. Oh, I, I wonder it, whether I, he it, would it, still stick by that view now. It'd be quite interesting, wouldn't it, to ask him? <laughs> there was a worse one. There was a chap who shouted, "Object." Oh, yeah, in the, uh, in the and, private and, members' bill. And, and ditch the private Was that members. cope? So we didn't get it no, as no. a private member. You were bill. number seven. Ten. So, yeah, I'm Jean Gaffin, and I was the person who ran the Child Action Prevention Trust. And the Child Action Prevention Trust brought together the kind of people that Barry's already talked about. So our chair was a, um, an A&E consultant, Howard Baderman, and so on. But it was inspired by a great paediatrician called Donald Court, and a younger paediatrician, Hugh Jackson. Jackson yeah. And he was uh, made everyone aware, or was trying to make everyone aware, that the biggest killer of child children in this country was not diphtheria or anything like that. It was accidents, road accidents and so on. And his driving um, energy was that there were three elements. There was education, nobody argued. Changing the environment, nobody argued. But the minute you came to his third E, which was enforcement, the world saw, oh, no, 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 back to the freedom of, mm -hmm. of speaking. I was at university with Barry. Mike's story slightly different. Barry wanted to do a bill on um, origin of goods. Yeah, and somebody sense. else had beaten to it. And he phoned me up and said, have you got any ideas? Well, we were desperate to get over what was happening to children. And we had the evidence at last. We had a report that we could present to Barry that he could use, mm. which showed that it actually saved children. Because in the USA, some states did it, some states didn't, and therefore you've got evidence that it saves lives. And that's when... Um, Barry took it up and ran away. And but your organisation, um, I don't think, was supposed to be campaigning and changing. You know, we, for legislative change, it was supposed to be about informing and and educating, wasn't it? So you got that. dragged you into the political process, which was quite get, interesting. Yeah, but you can't hire somebody who's been in the Labour Party since childhood <laughs> and not expect them to want to work uh, in the way that Barry is suggesting, yeah. appearing to be totally non political, exactly, totally scientific. Here is the evidence, but actually desperate to get that legislation. Yeah, and, and and you know, and did so. You did so, which was brilliant. But how did Nick get involved? Because yeah, it, the watershed was the greatest epidemic of our time. Because up till then, as we said, it was a non-sexy subject, and suddenly you did that very powerful program that really made people mm. sit up and think. My intro to this is completely different. I think it was because I'd realised way back about seventy-nine, so four years before this legislation came across this remarkable statistic. We were killing 6,500 oh, people on our roads mm. every year. I just, I found it very hard to credit. Couldn't believe it. I was trying to sell this to BBC programme makers, mm. trying to sell it at World at One, World Tonight. And then I was working with, uh, on TV, with a BBC Two programme called Man Alive. We had a discussion in the canteen mm. about this. And people said, nobody's interested. It's just so boring. Yeah. You will never get it commissioned. Mm. So we had a bet while well, I went and got the coffee. Uh, and <laughs> you know, the, the bet was I would never get a program on road accidents. Mm. It's so tedious. Yeah. Who mm. cares? Yeah. So eventually, to my amazement, I did. Yeah. And I went off. It was the first program ever produced and directed myself. Um, the title came from a consultant at Slough mm. um, who said, this really is the biggest epidemic of our times. And because I knew that this was a boring, boring subject, we made it pornographic. I mean, mm. it was truly pornographic. Mm. It started at night uh, with a car which had overturned. 
the car was completely undamaged, but the driver was dead. Yeah. We followed the driver to the morgue, watched the fridge door being closed. We followed the police officer, the sergeant, his wife to sell the wife. She was now a widow. Uh, and from that moment mm. on, there were dummies catapulting into I know, things. I know. I've watched. just re recently watched it. It's fascinating. And to my amazement, it was, it was at 70 minutes long as a rough cut. Mm. And I went to show it to my boss because nothing runs at 70. Everything has to be 48 minutes and 92 seconds or something. <laughs> and he watched it in silence, the whole thing. And then he said, run it as it is. Yeah. I said, you're kidding. I can't get 70 minutes. He said, you will get 70 minutes. And he got us on to BBC yeah. Two. And then it went on to BBC One. And it was because it was such a non-subject, that's what made me so furious mm -hmm. that we were killing all these mm -hmm. people yeah. completely unnecessarily. It wasn't just the seatbelts. It was the my irritation with almost everybody yeah. I encountered. The, the, the car manufacturers, no, nothing to do Complacency with Complacency in a way, wasn't it? The highway engineers at first. Well, what's it got to do with us? We just build roads. Mm. Yeah, but they're unsafe. Can't you see these junctions, the way they're laid out? Mm. So that's that's my background to it. Mm. And then I became... So in a way, you were running passionate. parallel with what we were doing here. I, yeah. When I discovered Barry, yeah. I discovered you. Yeah. Like, this mm. is... Yeah, well, I, remember you coming, I remember you coming with your camera team to do the interview with Barry out over there in the office that we I mean, I didn't, had over there. Yeah, I mean, forgive me, Barry, I didn't even know you existed until I thought, <laughs> hey, this guy's already onto this. This is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this small, and it was a small group at the time. Yeah. You would find hundreds of people who would speak out against it. Yeah. Hundreds of people would say, oh, we don't want to be confined in seatbelts. Mm. Hundreds of people would say, um, uh, it's awful if you have an, if there's a car catches fire, you'd be trapped. And mm. if it, a car deforms, you'd be stuck inside, you wouldn't be able to get mm. out. All these ridiculous excuses. The best from, from thing, very clever people. Mm. Yeah. People forget Michael Foote was against seatbelts, and so was Margaret Thatcher. That's, I mean, what a strange uh, thing uh, for his rupture. <laughs> yeah. One of the best demonstrations we had was a car seat on a sled mm, that yeah. slipped down a slope and got to three miles an hour. That's all. Mm. And then it stopped. And we invited lots of people with the cameras running. Would they like to go on this car seat with, with or without a seatbelt? No, I said, well, of course we'll go without a seatbelt. And I said, before you do, just watch it. And you see this car seat come down the sled to three miles an hour and stop suddenly. After that, nobody would volunteer. No, no, no. <laughs> Three miles an hour. Mm. And it's because intuitively we, we're not very good at physics. I did that thing, that simulator. I, I, I did it just after Jimmy Savile, because he was paid a lot of money mm. for, for the front click. Front click campaign. And of course, it didn't work. It, well, it, it got to 34%, if that my memory, and it didn't get about all that advertising, didn't get there. Didn't I get think, there. I think there's a, well, there are a couple of big lessons in this. One, incidentally, we're talking about children. Yeah. Um, Children, if there was ever an argument against seatbelt from a libertarian point of view, mm. it failed when you looked at passengers in the back, because passengers in the back were likely to catapult forward and injure or kill passengers in the front. Yeah. And that's what that's what happens. Yeah. And when you see dummies being oh. crashed, it's tested, horrible. and see the damage the passenger in the back does to the passenger in the driver in the front. And yet that was way behind. So the libertarian mm. issue was all over the place. It yeah. was all nonsense. It was yeah. all anti-intellectual, anti actually. Oh, yeah. But I think it was one of the issues that really emerged for me with great, great clarity, because I was fascinated with politics at the time, is how poorly democracy serves us, actually. Mm -hmm. 
we don't elect leaders. On the whole, we elect followers. Mm. And it's the same with my profession, journalism. We like to say we're, you know, we're out at the front and you're tremendous and democracy depends on us. Actually, we're followers as well. Mm. If our audience want this sort of program, we make that sort of program. Yeah, if, yeah. if they're left-wing, we make left-wing news for them. If mm. they're right-wing, we, we sell them mm. the Times or the Guardian rather, to the left or the Telegraph or the Mail to the right. We're all in this. So what was astonishing is how you needed I think slightly eccentric politicians like Barry mm -hmm. Sherman, mm -hmm. like Peter Bottom, and mm -hmm. others who would George do Robert. these things. Mm -hmm. yeah. And mm -hmm. people who wanted to base it on fact, yeah. like Hugh Jackson. Science, in a way. The science, yeah. yes, because there's a scientific case, Following the, the science. evidence that shows yeah. that it actually works, that one, one had to use, I think, as well. Mm -hmm. I agree know. with that mm -hmm. so no, much. No, I'm not so saying much. the program, no, I'm not, I, you know. No, I completely yeah. agree with you. It, and, is, it is the evidence-based politics that actually... Nobody shouts about it. Nobody campaigns, we're going to have a government based on evidence. No, 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 no I, I believe this, I believe that is the, is yeah. the mantra, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Although they... I, I, I was a little bit proud when I reread my speech and I was nice to uh, 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 John Adams. Was he was the, a geographer. He was the geographer, he, that's right. Oh, yeah, yes. He was a complete fatalist. Yeah, yeah. Just, but, just kind of before you come in, Barry, just to explain, yeah. he said that if you save A, B will feel safer and so will drive or reckless. That's Absolutely. right. Just kill B. Yeah. Anyway, go on. Yeah. It was, well, it it was, was fantasy. Called, it was called risk compensation. Yeah. Risk, risk compensation. That, you know, if, if, if you felt safer, you drive. And you know, in my speech, I said, look, I know that he's done some research on this. I've got every respect for him as an academic and we should be able to confront, confront evidence we don't think is, uh, is, is right. So afterwards, he came up to me and said, I was so pleased that you were not nice to me. <laughs> <laughs> some of us were. But uh, no, but it was, yeah, you're right. The evidence-based policy element. They kept, I used to teach a course on history of political ideas when I was an academic. And I do, don't do, I do know something about John Stuart Mill and the other great English uh, libertarian thinkers. And they used to mangle, you know, mm. the, 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 some of the conservative opponents used to, you know, use all sorts of snippets against having any, um, any restriction of, of human beings doing anything. Claire, do you remember, um, I was your lecturer at Swansea and you, I said, what are you going to do now? And you said, oh, I was going to have a gap here, but it hasn't really worked out. And I <laughs> yeah. said, why don't you come and work for me for a while? That's it. That is exactly what happened. And I couldn't think of anything better to do. So you came, I came up here and I think the first day you told me to dress properly. So I went out and got a <laughs> proper suit and tie. <laughs> Otherwise it would have, it was a disgrace, but it all started to become quite exciting fairly soon thereafter because we, you know, you had this in incredible interest, a passion about transport safety, which mm. I hadn't heard or thought about before then. And it started, started de developing and actually it also developed into my interest in the law because it, it, it sort of fell to me as soon as you drew, um, the, the high, point in the private members bill mm. um you then got some money from from the parliament to actually draft the bill mm -hmm. we went over somewhere over here to find a parliamentary draftsman who helped you know sat down and explained how it was done and what sort of clauses you have to put in and you mustn't spend any money otherwise the government will just kill it so you spend any money on a private members bill forget it it mm. won't even it won't last a day so we decided to do all that but the actual interesting thing i think was that we put in a penalty of one point. So if you were found without 
your seatbelt, the police picked you up, you would get a, a one point. And that was the bit that may, managed, that enabled you when it came to the, the, obviously the bill fell, didn't succeed, but when it came to the uh, standing committee of the transport bill, mm. um, it was that one point that enabled the, the, the chairman to select your amendment for mm. for for um for debate mm. so we it and and i think ken clark said what an ingenious idea barry that was i'm mm. not sure you had that idea <laughs> but it just happened well it it it, 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 it was a little bit more to it than that in the sense that um i couldn't get anything on the standing committee yeah because they the whips on both sides packed it with people anti seat belts yeah um even that man chap, got the that, list, chap, yeah. chap that got the uh seeks able to wear turbans uh, and rode motorcycles um but um so i had no hope in in the committee mm. they even fiddled it when the house of commons uh, nothing came back from the from the standing committee uh, upstairs nothing came back because the whips blocked it yeah and my only hope then was ken clark who i got on very well yeah. with said why don't you amend the transport bill yeah. 81 um and uh, we'll we'll accept we yeah. will embrace it yeah slide it in in a way yeah because it so, wasn't mainly uh, the transport bill of that, that in 81 wasn't to do with road safety it had a tiny it little had section. A tiny bit exactly yeah. it was mainly to do with privatization yeah. or whatever and i think there was a bit of ken was yeah it, it was gameplay only in the sense because he's, he's a lovely guy and we're still friends but um he thought i'd that would divert me from seatbelts for yeah. adults and so uh, of course you you know the story we then started organizing to bounce back a a, a an amendment from the house of lords yeah yeah no it was it was very exciting and really you know i learned an enormous amount and I mean, subsequently, I've been became a, a lawyer and have done all, an awful lot of you know road traffic accident cases and the you know the damage and the distress that road traffic accidents cause is just appalling. Um, I mean, you know, but those road traffic accidents would have been far more had this legislation sure. not gone through. I mean, you said to my wife, who's a retired GP, "I've saved more lives than you ever have." I think you know, it's true. I mean, it's true. And you think that we were killing over 6,000 yes. of us at the time. And now it's, it's now about, it's under 1,800. Exactly. So if you think of the, the, at least 15,000, 16,000 people's lives yeah. have been saved up to this point. Mm. Absolutely. Incidentally, there's a, a side to this, which you will never know, how much I learned myself yeah. from this. Mm. After the success of, of the programme that, that I made, Biggest Epidemic of Our Times, I was asked if I would front this program called Crime Watch. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> now, up to that point, I'd always assumed that crime was caused by criminals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the obvious, really. What the road safety campaigning, what your campaigning showed me, was that that's absurd. I mean, that's mm. tautology. It's like saying uh, driving is caused by motorists. If you want to solve a problem, you need to look at the real evidence behind it. Yeah. And just as we recognize that you didn't change drivers, you didn't change pedestrians, you didn't change cyclists, you changed the circumstances in which they found themselves, yeah. that was by far a better way of mm. doing it. Mm. And of course, that's true of crime as well. Mm. If you look at the court disposals of criminal justice, 
they don't even correlate with crime yeah, rates. Nothing mm. at all. Uh, you can increase penalties or reduce them. Usually the arrow of causation goes the opposite way to the one you expect. Oh, mm. We increase penalties because we're so frustrated that crime's getting out of control. Yeah. If but you, it has if no you, effect If you at look all. at how you yeah. increase crime, you take away the shop counters, you have self-service, you pack your homes, which were never locked with, make them like Aladdin's caves and all the rest of it. There are all sorts of logical yeah. reasons for crime. And if you want to reduce it, mm. you do what you did with road access, mm. you have seatbelts or the equivalent. Yeah. And that's how we drove crime down from mm. the mid-1990s, mm. almost entirely situationally. And I think this will apply to lots of other mm. things. Mm. You. Well, there's a constant theme here, Nick. We, mm. we now campaign on miscarriages of justice. And one of the greatest things, there's a thousand young men in prison at the moment are, are accused of joint enterprise, joint enterprise, where they didn't kill anyone, they just happened to be there. Yeah. There are a thousand. So we're still using the, same, using yeah. the same model, really. Yeah. Yeah. Joint enterprise. I think that what you're talking about now, in terms of, of goes back to um, Hugh Jackson's driving thing about the three E's. You can do things about the environment. You know, kids don't have to fall out of windows if you don't make them open fully. It's not such a thing. Education as well. We, we did a, a series of programs. Um, fronted, I'm afraid, by Jimmy Savile, because mm. he was the draw, uh, with BBC Education, mm. which was brilliantly done. No effect whatsoever. You know, ed education just doesn't work. You can't change people's behaviour that way. Environment, you've got this sort of architectural and other equivalents of, mm. of, um, of the major manufacturing. But medicine bottles that. were useful and, as well. And, le and enforcement legislation is the only way. And when I get involved, as I sometimes do locally, with people who say, isn't it awful? They're making my road 20 miles an hour. And I kind of explain there is actually a link between accidents mm. and speed. People don't believe me, know. you know, because I haven't got the, the facts at my fingertips anymore. Mm. It's just, it's still a bit of a no-no as, as a as a issue. There wasn't an academic, hasn't away. even before you, Okay. Even before any of us, mm. called Ron Clark, who was mm. a Home Office mm. researcher, who came across by, he was looking at suicide and couldn't understand why suicide had gone down radically in parts of the country. And then he realised it was because North Sea gas uh, had uh, be replaced coal gas and was far less toxic. Mm. Right? Now, you would have thought, if you want to kill yourself, you'll kill yourself. Yeah. But even people driven to despair survived and didn't go on. Most of them didn't go on to commit suicide mm. again. This environment issue, mm. the situations we find ourselves in, is so important. It's vital. And that's why seatbelts were so important. Mm. Because when you did conflict, you could still be hit by another car. You could still drive mm. badly. You could still make a mistake. Mm. But you wouldn't be killed, yeah. nor would your passengers. Yeah. 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 And you'd be in the control of the car, and certainly after the collision, for better, for longer, and well, less likely to hit somebody look else. Look at Lady, Lady Diana. I mean, she, she, if she um, had been wearing a seatbelt that day, which a lot of people don't know about, um, then she would probably still be here now. Indeed, the only person to survive in that car was her detective. Exactly. Who mm. was at the main point of impact. He was the only person wearing a seatbelt. Mm. And as you say, mm. she submarined classically Absolutely. all the things you were telling me about at the time. Mm. She submarined mm. under the yeah. seat in front, suffering terrible injuries, crushed legs, crushed hips. Shocking. Completely avoidable. Yeah. And she Absolutely. might have got out of that car literally unscathed that she'd be wearing a seatbelt. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Can I come back to, to the, 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 the luck element? You have to be lucky when you've got a campaign and use that luck. And, um, we were, were lucky in that we had a member of the House of Lords uh, who had been a Conservative junior transport minister 
who was very keen on seatbelts. Lord, Lord Nugent and yeah. Guildford. Yeah. And, and the House of Lords, uh, as they often are, were more enlightened about seatbelts mm. than the, the, the House Commons. And D uh, Dick Nugent got his bill, he got his amendment through the House of Lords. And so that was lucky. It's also lucky that we had been working really hard with this little American intern, ringing, and Glyn, ringing every member of the House of Lords to, to get them there. Mm. And so we got it through the House of Lords. So it had to bounce back into the House of Commons. And the, where the luck comes in, the, the day it came back to the House of Commons as a Lord's Amendment was the day before the royal wedding. Yeah. Charles and Diana. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> when you look back, I think, what a wonderful victory. What a fantastic, we crushed the opposition. Actually, if you look at the vote, it still wasn't that big. Yeah. It wasn't that big. What we did was we kept our troops here and their troops saw, oh, well, there's, there's a public holiday. We're going to have a long weekend. Huh. And they all beggared off. So they, they disappeared. We kept our troops here and we got a majority on the day. Um, that isn't that luck, and it's serendipity too. Yeah. That, that and they weren't of, very uh, well organised either. They, I mean, you had the bit between your teeth on it. I think there was a sort of the wind was behind your back. Oh, the wind was Definitely. with us. But yeah. and we went over there on the. We can't do it now, but we all went up on the on on the roof of the House of Commons with some white wine, if I remember. Yeah. And w with the wonderful celebration, yeah. we, we, we said for seatbelts, but actually it was the fireworks for the royal wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. I remember that. That was good. But it was a great victory. And it was, it, it was the campaigning, a bit of luck, and lovely people like some of the academics that were brilliant, and and and, and Dick Nugent, who you know, many people forget. But I think forget. your program also set a national scene as well. It all worked together. It all co cohered together, didn't it? What was going on in Parliament, what you were doing um, in the wider world, um, broadcasting, what Jean was doing with her com committee, etc. I mean, it all. It, it's the way in which no one planned for it all to come together, but it just did at the right time. From my perspective, running a really small organisation, two people in an office and a lot of hope yeah. and a lot of ideas, the luck of, of meeting Barry, liking Barry, lucky enough to him liking me back, so we stayed mm. friends after university, it was hugely yeah. important, yeah. hugely important. So it was important not just because it was saving lives, which we obviously believed in, mm. but to have... Um, it, it gave us a, a bit of credibility because we could say, well, you know, we were very mm. influential in doing this. When we took other campaigns, less successfully, I'm mm. afraid, mm. Um, to other bits of, of, mm. of society. Do you, you realise what an illustrious generation were at the LSE we were? There was us two. There was Norma Percy, who you might know in your yes, she Absolutely. she was she was with us. She's still a very good friend of mine. Uh, and her husband uh, is Professor Steve, yeah, Steve Jones. Jones wrote, yeah. Here yeah. Comes the Sun. And we also had Margaret, uh, Margaret Hodge, Margaret Hodge, Margaret Hodge uh, yeah. Mick Jagger. <laughs> I don't know now, who now, now we're talking. Now we're talking. We had Bob Kilroy still. Oh, don't go there. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, but, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> yeah, but he was my best man, so I don't <laughs> want to go there. <laughs> yeah. And we, we can celebrate now, but when you think, the knowledge of unrestrained occupants of a car being injured when a car stopped suddenly was known to doctors in the 1930s. Yes. Written yeah. written all sorts of medical papers about it. 
We'd had seatbelts, uh, I mean, they were invented for the cross laps, and the cr- lap and shoulder seatbelt was in cars, w- invented in the 60s, wasn't it? Everybody used them in planes without uh, ever thinking absolutely. about it. And, yeah. you know, what is, it, with hindsight, what's so depressing is it took 20 years mm. yeah. before everything did come together mm. and you managed to get it through. And then it started moving fast, didn't yes. it? Because people forget the international dimension. Um, because of our success, I, I helped Domagen in California launch the California uh, seatbelt legislation bid. And I uh, went to New York to the older uh, Cuomo uh, a governor to, to launch his campaign. So globally, things mm. change, uh, actually. And then, of course, we started the European Transport Safety Council. So, you know, across Europe, uh, we, yeah. we, we, would, we just saw that there was good practices other, ta- uh, other countries, like usually, usually always the, 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 the flipping uh, Nordics as advanced, but you could learn from good practice. Well, but, but the international science community really started working together. Yeah. I, I think, and we were part of that. Wasn't this the beginning? I mean, it was a, a massive success, but it was also the beginning of actually what you said earlier on. Safety was then become a selling point that, you know, that the, the, the every manufacturers wanted to, to have the safest car, not the fastest, not the glossiest or anything, but they wanted the safest. That started that movement, I think. On the way here, I happened to watch an advertisement for Tesla, and it said the safest car in the world. There you are. Mm. And then Barry, what you helped start was really led to Euro NCAP, this the European car yeah. safety legislation and mm-hmm. organisation. And if if you go to Brussels one, once a year, all the crash cars are assembled, so the other manufacturers can look. Mm at how other people's cars are deformed so they can learn from each other. Mm. This is an extraordinary revolution Mm. from an industry that was, I was going to say, deeply immoral. I don't even give them that credence for that. It was amoral. Amoral, yeah, I think they were amoral. No, they never thought of it. As far as they're concerned, this was not our problem. Now they absolutely are required to accept it's their problem, Mm -hmm. but only because of regulation. If that Mm. regulation was stripped away, I'm pretty sure we go back to yeah, we're free for all. Yeah, for all. I I think what we started. uh, It's important to remember that we haven't solved the problem yet, all the problems yet. I I have because I've been involved in this a long time. We I I now chair something of the Independent Committee for uh, Road Safety International, ECORSI. And we, with a bunch of, you know, wonderful professors and retired professors and so on, um, last year, two, two years ago, we, over months of toil, we researched every piece of road safety research of the last 60 years. Now, none of the big groups, WHO, nobody else was doing this. We did it. And every piece of credible research was looked at by senior academics. And we came up with all the research that's been done in the last 60 years. What is wonderful about that, it shows where no bloody research has been done. Mm. For example, in Africa, nothing about two wheels and three wheels, where a large number. And what comes out of it is a present concern is, although it's good that car manufacturers are very interested in the design of cars, still the vulnerable road user, the cyclist, the pedestrian, scooter uh, rider, are still highly vulnerable. Mm. And in Africa, nothing had been done on two-wheel vehicles. I I think it may be true, I hope it's not, but I think it's true that manufacturers sell into parts of the world 
vehicles with less safety equipment. Yeah, they do. Sure they, they do. do. They We're do. required to have yeah. safety equipment, mm. as in Europe. Mm. And then you're back to the need for regulation if, yeah. if you really want something to happen. Yeah. And, and that was the success of the bill. But I think, just a note of caution, one of the things that happened more or less at the same time, maybe a little bit after you got mm -hmm. the seatbelt legislation through, was that the highway engineers, called in those days the Institute of Highway Engineers, mm -hmm. started a real crusade of what they could do to make the roads safer. Oh, yeah. and a lot of it's very cheap stuff. Yeah. White lines and White lines. getting us to yeah. Yeah. present the vehicle in the right angle so we can see what's coming up the hill mm. or whatever it is. Mm. I'm really dispirited at how highway engineering seems to have lost mm. the will to do that now. Uh, the, the idea of all lane running motorways where you mm. take away the safe refuge, yeah. which the highway engineers went along with. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I think... What has happened, and I, I, we've got to be aware, warning, warned about this, is now a new complacency sets in. Mm -hmm. We've settled around killing 1,800, just yeah. as we used to settle at killing yeah. six and a six and a half thousand. Yeah. And now we feel comfortable with this. Mm. And who's who's the generation now taking over yeah. and saying, no, 1,800 is not again, acceptable? I mean, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. I, I think that's, that's a really good question. Mm. In a sense, why I, I, in a sense, and, and Glenn, we, we, we've been, you know, that global relationship, finding out the very best. And PET still, the Parliamentary Advisory Council on Transport Safety, still alive and well. And, uh, of course, the working party still, road environment, car design and, and, yeah. and, and, and driver behaviour. So we still are on that path. But you're quite right that uh, we've now accepted, still accepting high levels of deaths. And of course, we all know now the latest stats show that people are beginning to be careless about wearing their seatbelts, especially in the rear of cars, passengers. And now 34%, I think, of deaths in cars is now people not wearing the seatbelt. I am worried that we're going back to hmm. the complacency. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah we've, we've what, solved the problem. One we of the things think I, I remember from the late 70s, the early 80s, was feeling how inconsiderate victims of road accidents were. They insisted on dying in ones and twos and threes, maybe fours. It would go into the paper if it was a bus crash, public yeah, transport. Yeah. But you know, what's Claims. the point of dying in ones and twos when it, doesn't really galvanise public attention. Yeah. Now, at the moment, I, I'm involved with fire safety, and and we're killing two, three hundred people a year in in house fires, and they're all in social housing. Mm -hmm. People who own their own homes don't 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 die in these mm -hmm. things. But again, the problem was they were dying in ones and twos. Even when Lackenall House happened, which is a house, uh, yeah. which is a flat fire in, in the South London, killed yeah. quite a few people. Mm -hmm. Even then, we didn't get much change. Yeah. Oh, it took Grenfell. Grenfell, yeah. It took yeah. more than 80 people. Now, the problem, just coming back to road accidents, mm. is it's hard to demonstrate. You don't have this cataclysmic smash right. with 80 people dead in one go. Mm. That is it's an awful thing to say, but we almost need that to shake politics, to shake mm. people, to shake the media back into recognising mm. this is unacceptable. Interesting you should say that. Immediately you thought, I, w I went to a meeting, my, one of my daughters now is the Chief Operating Officer of the International Rescue Committee, and I was a guest in their staff meeting because, you know, a little surprise, I talked to them. Um, and, and like Oxfam, when you say, and what kills most people and with most children and young people worldwide, they always come up with you know, all sorts of diseases. Mm. They don't. They die in accident on the road. Yeah. Worldwide. Even my own leader, 
of the opposition this morning said the biggest killer of young people is uh, suicide. It, it is suicide. It's not. It's not. No. It's no. not. And that's just a fake. Yeah. And we can we get very complacent. Yeah. Biggest killer in the world is still, still young people yeah. is still dead. Yeah. Because we know the reason, because they don't die of strokes and cancer and all those things. They die in accidents. Mm. And not all preventable. Well, I'm just a journalist. Come on, you guys, what are you three going to do about it? <laughs> <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Scheme, plot, plan. Yeah. I mean, there is, there, there is a way of how, how do you coordinate the twos and the threes? Maybe coroners around the country should actually all work together and produce the produce the, the information. Yeah, and it, it is it is always a challenge when it, it's a drip, drip, yeah, drip, drip, drip. Yeah, yeah, I know. And, and it, it makes it the local newspaper, it doesn't make them. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry, I, I interrupted. Right. It's been lovely to for everyone who would meet up again and uh, so refreshing that uh, the passion that we had all those years ago has not dimmed. There are still enormous challenges out there. This is the biggest killer of children and young people worldwide. And we need to renew our efforts to do something more about it. Yeah, agree, yeah. agree. That was Barry Sheehan, an MP, who was joined by the broadcaster Nick Ross, the safety advocate Jean Gaffin, and the barrister Glyn Maddox to remember the massive breakthrough in road safety they achieved when wearing a seatbelt in the front of a car became mandatory more than 40 years ago. And it brings to an end the latest edition of the Voices from the Road podcast. We'll be back soon with another fascinating selection of interviews and discussions. And by the way, do make sure you subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends all about it as well. You may have a story of your own to tell, in which case we would love to hear from you. Details of how to contact us can be found on the notes accompanying this programme. Thanks very much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed it. And from me, Valerie Singleton, until next time, it's goodbye.